being healthy in the true sense of the word. So I don't mean just like I'm lean because uh, you can be lean and be unhealthy, right? I mean, really, you're healthy. Like you, you have a healthy body, a healthy mind. You have healthy relationships. That's attractive. That's attractive in real life. You ever meet somebody? They don't have to look like a physique competitor or a bikini model, but you meet them and, and you just, God, you want to be around them because they're healthy. It looks good. And, and you know, look, if you, if you try to be healthy in the truest sense, you're going to become more attractive. It's just, it's just the way it is. If you just try to become attractive, oftentimes you'll sacrifice your health and then you'll lose both. And that's just the reality. I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please, sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Sal Stefano, and this is his fourth time on the podcast. Sal is a friend, a personal trainer, and co-host of the highly popular Mind Pump podcast, which I have also been a guest on. Last month, I released an episode with Stan Efferding on fat loss, and it was so well-received that I wanted to bring Sal on as a follow-up discussion. Today on the show, we discuss the biggest weight loss mistakes people make, and how to burn fat the right way, why your body fat percentage may be going up even though you're losing weight, Sal's favorite five exercises for building muscle and losing fat, what diet and exercise topics has Sal changed his mind on, what you must do when you hit a weight loss plateau, why less is more when it comes to exercise, daily habits for maintaining long-term health and weight loss, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Sal Stefano back to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Sal, welcome back to the podcast. Doug, how you doing, man? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course, man. It's always good to see you, and I'd love to just jump right in. I feel like so many people, you know, summer's just finished up. They're lo- they're looking to lose some weight. Maybe they're looking to lose something like, like 20 pounds or reduce their body fat percentage. And I think like a lot of people make so many mistakes out the gate when trying to do so, other than not resistance training. What would you say are a couple of the biggest, you know, weight loss, fat loss mistakes you see people making every day? Well, the biggest one is just going about it too quickly or, or doing a calorie cut too quickly. Um, you know, what you, what you do when you want to lose weight or lose body fat, you have to take in less calories than you burn. But you also have to consider that down the road, you're going to be at a position where you have to maintain, right? So if you're if your maintenance calories are, let's say, 1,800 calories or 1,600 calories, well, then you know with a 20-pound weight loss, like where are you going to end up? 1,000 calories, and then you have to maintain 1,000 calories for the rest of your life to maintain that. So one of the biggest mistakes people make is, is, is starting too fast with the cut and not trying to build up their metabolism first. I think that's probably one of the more important things. you got to give yourself some runway to cut from so that you end up in a sustainable place. And so how would you say – that somebody should go about that part differently. Like let's say somebody's listening to this and they're like, oh, I definitely want to lose 20 pounds, 30 pounds. I want to lose some body fat, but I want to do it the right way. Like what are some, what are some of the first steps they should do to make sure that they're doing it like effectively? Yeah. Well, you know, you, you mentioned strength training, definitely do that. Cause that sends a direct signal to your body to maintain or build muscle. That'll, that'll go a long way at, at keeping your metabolism running or maybe even speeding up the metabolism. 
Then what you want to do is you want to keep your protein intake high. Whether you're in a calorie deficit or surplus, high protein is beneficial because it does contribute more to muscle. Whether it's preservation or building, um, those are both good, whether you want to cut or you want to, you want to gain. And it also has got a bit of a thermic effect. Um, they've shown in studies that two equal calorie diets, one being made up of a high protein intake and the other one being made up of more of a, I guess, average protein intake or lower protein intake, even though the calories are the same, the higher protein intake version results in more pure fat loss. So you want to keep your protein intake high. You want to strength train. And then if your metabolism is already slow, if you find that your maintenance calories are, um, you know, in a place that maybe is not sustainable, or at least when you cut from that place, it's not going to be sustainable. Then you want to do what's called a reverse diet. You want to slowly bump your calories while trying to build muscle. And then when you get to a place where your calories are high enough to cut from, then you can cut from there. And then again, you want to start slow. I would recommend most people go do no, no larger than let's say a 500 calorie deficit, meaning they are eating 500 less calories than they're burning. I don't like to do deficits any larger than that. Uh, for most people, just because from a behavioral standpoint, it tends to be too big of a cut and it uh, makes it much more challenging to maintain. So speaking of calories, you know, you mentioned that some like a, lo a lot of times people just eat like way too little calories, right? And it ends up messing things up. And they also try to go too quickly with things. How can somebody begin to get like a good baseline of how many calories they should be eating on a daily basis that's, you know, maintainable for their fat loss goals? Yeah, I mean, there are um, estimation calculators online. We have one. It's, all, it's at mapsmacro.com. But it's going to give you a general um, idea. It's not really specific. There's such a variance between individuals when it comes to calorie burn, even with the same lean body mass. So the best way to do it is to track your current food intake, okay? And they have really easy, uh, easy-to-use apps nowadays, like Fat Secret, for example, and entering your food. And do this for about a week or two. But don't change anything about your diet because what you don't want to do is enter in food intake that doesn't match your regular living. So you enter it in, you get your average, meaning if it's, let's say you do it over the course of 10 days, you take the total divided by 10. And then that is probably as close as you're going to get to what your maintenance calories are. So if you, over the course of 10 days, you averaged out 2,200 calories a day, then you know about 2,200 calories is what is going to what's going to uh, be required to maintain your body weight. Now you know that you would have to go below 2,200 calories to lose weight or above 2,200 calories to gain weight. And so that's kind of the best way to approach it. Otherwise, um, you could use estimations, but they're, I mean, they're going to be off by 20%, and uh, that can make all the difference in the world. What have you found, either, even with, either, even, even with uh, for yourself or with clients you've trained over the years to be the best way at, tracking progress of all this meaning like if somebody you know they, they find out let's just say their maintenance calories are 2200 let's just say they eat you know a little bit less than that to lose a bit a little bit of weight like how do they know that they're actually like on the right path with that and when is it time to adjust well i mean there's a lot of different metrics you can measure i like strength as a metric because getting stronger you know it's hard to do a lot of things wrong and get stronger okay you have to at least be well nourished enough your programming has to be appropriate for you to get stronger so I like strength. Um, I like energy. I like to look at sleep. Appetite is another one. And then if, from a fat loss perspective, body fat testing will give you better idea than weight will on the scale. Weight on the scale measures total body mass. And, 
you know, if you gained three pounds of muscle but lost three pounds of body fat, you're not going to lose any weight on the scale, but you got leaner and you're smaller because body fat takes up more space. So body fat testing is good. Um, you can use electronic impedance, which is an easy way to test body fat. It's not the most accurate, but you will get a trend. So let's say you test yourself, uh, you know, twice a week with, with this uh, electronic impedance device, right? Those are the ones you put your hands on, like the handles. Let's say you measured yourself twice a week and over the course of a month, although the number varies, that you see it trending upward. Well, now you know you're, getting, you're probably gaining body fat. Or if it trends downward, you're going in the right direction. So um, those would be the, the metrics that I would measure the most. And then as far as how to know, like, when it's time to manipulate calories, like what do you think is a good process for doing that? Like as somebody's starting, let's just say somebody's trending down and they're losing body fat, they're losing weight. How can somebody adjust the calories along the way? Uh, like what? Like when you mean you mean if you plateau? Yeah, let's just say somebody's like starting to 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 lose body fat, and then all of a sudden they they reach a point where they they're, hit, they're at a sticking point where they've they've stopped losing weight. Yeah, I would I would wait till the plateau sticks for a couple of weeks before I would uh, readjust because you don't body fat doesn't just come off linearly very consistently. It tends to happen in spurts, just just like muscle gain does. So I would wait at least two weeks or so or three weeks, and if the plateau sticks then you can cut your calories um, a little bit more. Now, if you're already really low calorie, then you might want to go into a reverse diet to boost it up before, boost up your metabolism a little bit before um, getting yourself up, set up on the, the cut again. But it's typically when you plateau that you'll, and again, wait about two or three weeks uh, before you'll start to readjust uh, your, your caloric intake in the direction of you know wherever your goals are. Right, so what I'm hearing you say is that people should keep their calories the same if they're continuing to lose weight, like don't, you know, try to reinvent the wheel with, with something that's already working. But when you hit the plateau and you're, and you're not losing weight, give it a few weeks to see what happens and then adjust from there. Yeah. Don't, um, try to make it happen faster by doubling down. You know, if you're losing, if you're getting leaner and you feel good and you're getting stronger, a mistake people will make is they'll get excited and they'll push even harder. And uh, this is when people can overcorrect, uh, or overreact, I should say, or, or apply too much. And, um, I mean, even if it did work, it's, it, it tends to make things less sustainable, but typically what that does is it means you're going to eat too little and exercise too much and put yourself in a, in a position where maybe you lose weight on the scale, but you don't get leaner. And I've seen this many times where somebody will lose, you know, eight pounds, but you know, six of it was muscle. Well, that person, even though they lost two pounds of body fat, uh, the, the, the muscle loss means that their body fat percentage went up because remember your, your total pounds of body weight, body fat or a percentage of your body weight. So you could lose muscle and your body fat percentage actually goes up or lose weight, I should say, and your body fat percentage go up. Now, would you say that's a result of not eating enough protein, not hitting it hard enough in the gym, not eating enough? Like what have you found to be the most common thing there? Typically calories really low and the workout itself is not appropriate. I don't like to say not hitting it hard, hard enough in the gym because you may be training really hard. It's just got, you got terrible workout programming or maybe you're, training too intensely for your ability to recover and adapt, right? So, um, so th yeah, that's, that's essentially it. As far as programming goes, what have you found to be the most effective for somebody who's, they, maybe they only have time to commit, you know, two to three days in the gym. Um, they don't have time to, you know, work out five, six days a week. Like what have you found to be the most effective? Full, full body, you generally speaking, a full body routine is generally, generally, What's going to work best? Um, you know, so I would choose one exercise per body part. Even if we're, and if we even simplify it even more, I would do maybe three or four compound lifts only. 
three, four sets each, um, practice the lifts with a good moderate to high intensity, don't train to failure. And, um, and then you can repeat that workout or pick three, you know, three to five different compound exercises. I mean, for most people, that'll get you really far. I'd say most people who are looking to just become more fit and healthy and mobile and stronger, they can get all the way there with just two days a week. When it comes to building muscle and, and losing fat, I know you're a big fan of compound movements, like you just said, and strength training. If you had to pick like five exercises that you could do for the rest of your life to help you maintain a healthy level of body fat, maintain muscle, what would they be? Well, your deadlift, your barbell squat, your overhead press, your bench press. Uh, and you could probably, um, you could throw a row in there. That would be the fifth one. You've kind of hit all, all the, uh, everything. You might want to throw in some rotational movement as well if we could add a sixth movement type uh, pattern. But the five that I listed, you'd get really far with. Now, why did you bring up those five? Was it just because it's the, the biggest bang for the buck? Is it because of uh, what, what they do for the body? Like, why those five? Well, you're working every major muscle in the body. You're working the muscles in, uh, in concert or unit. You, you know, they're working together. So you're developing good recruitment patterns. Um, the carryover from the strength that you build in those exercises is apparent and uh, valuable for the real world. So it's got what's called functional applications. So you get stronger at those movements and then you go move a couch or you go do something physical. You'll feel the extra strength uh, and it'll be applicable versus, you know, building strength in other exercises where sometimes you don't get so much of that functional benefit. Um, they also, most bang for your buck, they produce the biggest changes with the least amount of time. They, they work stabilizers and core stability muscles because they're all, uh, you know, kind of these big compound gross motor movements and they're all free weight. I feel like strength training over the years has gotten a bad rap specifically for, for women. You know, I've been a trainer for, for a while as well. And like the biggest thing that I've been told when women start to train with me is they're like, I don't want to get bulky. I don't want to get too big if I lift weights. And we all know that's just completely false and not true. Do you still see that like out in the industry and you know, given all the people that you talk to, or you think we're kind of behind that? I mean, we're not behind, we're not beyond it yet. It's improved a lot. I mean, uh, you know, when I started training people in the late nineties, early two thousands, I mean, I never saw women in women in the free weight area ever. It was just empty. It was all men. Now, um, the free weight area is 50, 50 gyms, big box gyms in particular, um, are changing their footprints where they're trading cardio space and group X space for strength training. And that's because of the female consumer. So attitudes are changing. However, you still hear a lot of these myths persist, right? Like I don't want to build big bulky muscles. So I don't want to do resistance training or, um, I just want to lean down. Why would I do something that, you know, that why would I do strength training? It doesn't burn a lot of calories type of deal. But, um, when it comes to getting leaner, sculpting the body, shaping the body, nothing's more effective on a time for time basis. And the whole, like, I don't want to build big muscles thing. Like you can try building the biggest muscles you want. It's not going to happen. It's very, 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 very challenging to do. And at the most, what you'll get is a tight sculpted physique. What about rep ranges? I mean, have you found there to be a, a set of rep ranges? Somebody should, should try to hit if they're looking to just build like pure muscle and not necessarily just just strength strength and muscle are closely connected any rep range between one to i don't know 30 is going to build muscle 
Uh, now the question is, which one is the most effective? Well, they're all effective when they're new. And you start to adapt, in which case you need to switch to a different rep range. So, you know, the literature show 8 to 12 being the best muscle building rep range. But if you just did 8 to 12 and never moved into, let's say, 5 or 25, that that rep range would then become the worst rep range for you to build muscle. So I think it's important to train in a range of reps for, let's say, a three, four-week period of time and then switch to a new range of reps or incorporate different rep ranges uh, throughout your workouts throughout the week. Although one thing I'll add to that is most people do best focusing on one rep range at a time and not mixing them up. And that just has to do with the intention uh, around the lifts um, and what they require. I mean, doing a set of squats for 20 reps, a very different experience and different intention than doing a squat for three reps. And I like people staying at a rep range because it really puts them in the zone and it gets them to the point where they're really mastering what it feels like to lift in a particular rep range and how to apply themselves and then move to a new one. What is the value in doing the same workout repetitively, like over and over again? I see a lot of people just mixing things up like on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, because they, they want to try to quote unquote shock their body. But I found that when I stick to an actual program and do a program for weeks or months at a time, I see the best results. Novelty has value. So doing new exercises and new rep ranges and rest periods does have value, but that value, which is there, so you want to utilize it, but that value pales into cons in, in comparison to practicing certain movement patterns and allowing yourself to get really good at them. Okay, so I think it's important to do certain exercises consistently. Those are the big, the big gross motor movements. I listed five of them um, earlier on, when, you know, uh, maybe a couple questions ago. Um, but then from there you can modify. So like squatting is important, but there's variations of squats. Same thing with pressing and rowing and deadlifting. So you can add some variety and some novelty, but also maintain the same movement pattern. So I can go from like a conventional deadlift to a sumo deadlift to let's say a trap bar deadlift or, or a stiff legged deadlift, right? Same thing with pressing. There's different versions and, and varieties of, uh, of pressing. I'll, I'll say this. It's, it's, more important for beginners that they do the same exercises over and over again than it is for people who are advanced. Someone like myself, I can go do exercises I haven't done in a while, and I'll be able to yield uh, benefit from the exercise because I have pretty good control of my body. I know how to create tension. I know what they're supposed to feel like. Whereas a beginner, um, there's a learning curve and a process that, uh, that, um, you know, that goes with it. So for them, I'd say practice, practice the same lifts, especially the ones that I mentioned uh, frequently. So we talked about like the strength training myth. What's been a myth over the years that you may have believed or what's been something that you've changed your mind on? Um, God, a lot of stuff has changed. I mean, uh, you know, I used to believe that eating small meals throughout the day would speed up your metabolism somehow. And that um, that was the best way to do it. Now I know that it's really up to the personal preference. Um, and it may make it more convenient to eat small meals if you're eating a high calorie diet, uh, or it may work out better for you to eat low, you know, less few meals, um, especially when it comes to, let's say, trying to cut or lose weight. That's one thing that I thought was, um, true that didn't turn out to be true. I used to do a lot of static stretching for warmups before workouts with clients. There's still value in static stretching, but for the most part, you want to do what's called dynamic stretching. This is where you're moving your body through stretches uh, versus holding a stretch. And that's because static stretching tells the central nervous system to relax. You'll actually, through static stretching, tell certain muscle groups, depending on the ones you stretch, 
to disengage, which you don't necessarily want when you're strength training. You want muscles to engage. So that's, um, that's another one. Those, are, those two are pretty big. Um, you know, I used to think body part splits were the best way to strength train. That's where you train like one or two body parts a day. I mean, my experience and data shows that full body workouts are superior for most people. They just, they tend to, to produce the best results and the average person is likely to miss a workout here and there. Well, if you're working out three days a week full body and you miss one workout, you still work your whole body. Versus, uh, you know, I'm doing chest and shoulders and arms and legs. I miss a workout. That entire body part hasn't gotten touched for that whole week. I'm glad we're talking about this because one of the other things I wanted to ask you was this, the concept of overtraining. I feel like when people are trying to do something like we're talking about, lose over 20 pounds, maximize fat loss, build muscle, whatever the case may be, that they feel like they have to be in the gym five, six days a week. They got to do an hour of cardio every day. They got to cut out this, cut out that. And they it ends up like completely like hijacking and overwhelming their, their lives and they end up quitting, right? So talk a bit about why, you know, less is less is more when it comes to this stuff. Well, look, I mean, you know, if I had two people and I, if I took two people and told them to dig a 10 foot hole and they could use whatever tool they wanted, who would grab a spoon? Right. Nobody. Right. Because you're going to be doing a lot of work. You'll be sweating your butt off, but you're not going to get very far. So, I mean, is there benefit to doing lots of workouts? I mean, there can be, but for the most, for most people, uh, there isn't because uh, it's just overkill. And so what you're doing is you're actually getting yourself to your goal slower, not faster, slower. There's a right amount. And what determines that amount is your current fitness level and your ability to recover and adapt. Exercise sends a signal to your body to adapt. The getting fit part of it happens after the workout, not during the workout. And if you're not exercising now or you're a beginner, it doesn't take much to get that ball rolling. And doing any more than that, all that does is compromise your body's ability to adapt, you know, cause your body will just want to heal. You know, it's like you work out so hard to get so sore and then you hurt for four days. And what your body's doing is it's just trying to heal from that. And then you go back to the gym, you don't get any stronger. There's no improvements. You just get yourself sore again. Plus it's not sustainable really. I mean, who would want to get great results working out twice as much than they could if they worked out half as much just doesn't make any sense. So I'm all about effectiveness and efficiency. By the way, effectiveness doesn't mean you work out harder or you beat yourself up more. A lot of people think that if they work out less frequently, they have to make up for it with uh, harder, more intense workouts. And that's not the case. Effective workouts are effective. They're not necessarily harder or more brutal. They're simply effective. The more advanced you are, the harder they do need to be to elicit more change. I have to train at a certain intensity if I want to get my body to improve or progress, uh, you know, more than where it's at now. But if you're just getting started, it doesn't take much. I mean, if you don't do, if you don't do any squats at all, every single day, doing 10 squats today is enough to get your body to, to start getting stronger. One of the things that I had to overcome early in my fitness journey, I remember when I got out of jail, I, I worked with, um, a trainer not too long after that. I don't, remember, I don't remember the exact timeline. And I remember one of the programs he put together for me for building muscle was like, do a set of bench, barbell bench, rest like two to three minutes, barbell bench, and I remember looking at it, and I know like a lot of people feel this way too. And I was like, dude, that's too much rest. Like I got to do more. He was like, dude, just trust me. You need rest. And that was like one of the biggest lessons that I learned was that slowing it down during the workouts and really focusing on strength and getting in great reps goes so much further than just trying to superset and endurance train during strength training. And I know you feel the same way. Well, I don't, I mean, it's, it's, I don't have to feel this way. That's the, it's, it's uh, clear. The data is very clear on this. 
So um, people confuse rest with, uh, like, I need to take a break because this is too hard. That's not what the rest is for. The rest is there because when we're trying to build strength and muscle, we're trying to train the anaerobic system of the body. So you have the aerobic system, which is with oxygen. That's what aerobic means. And that is glycolytic, meaning we burn glycogen and, and, you know, stored energy. And that happens from stamina, endurance type training. When you're trying to build muscle, the, the system you're trying to train is anaerobic without oxygen. And this is a fast-burning, powerful energy system, but also burns out very quickly. So I'll do 10 reps on a bench press, and I've utilized and burned out the anaerobic energy system. And then I wait and let it replenish and do it again. That's what builds strength. If I don't do that, if I do 10 reps of bench press, and then 10 reps of push-ups, and then 10 reps of pull-ups, and then 10 reps of squats, and I don't rest, my body now is going to be in the aerobic state. And all I'm doing now is cardio with weights. I'm actually not doing strength training. I'm just using weights in a way to build stamina and endurance, which is fine if that's what you want. But if you're trying to build muscle and build strength, then you need to rest in between sets. That's the only way to do it. So we've talked about some of the things that people should focus on to, to drop body fat and to, to lose weight. We've talked about strength. We've talked about um, nutrition and calories and stuff. A lot of it, as we both have talked about, and no, it's about habits as well. Like, what do you think are some of the other like key habits that people should focus on on a, on a daily and, and weekly basis so that they can, you know, stay on this for the long term? Well, daily habits. I mean, one of the best things you could do daily for yourself is to inject activity into your daily life. Okay, so uh, you know, if you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, then maybe doing a ten-minute walk after each would be a good idea, right? If you did ten minutes after breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Doesn't sound like much. You're already eating breakfast, so it's easy to remember. Oh, I got to do my 10 minute walk. But you've done 30 minutes of walking every single day. And that's got profound health benefits uh, for the body. So that's one of my favorite things. Um, you know, we've heard this before. I used to scoff at this, but it's actually, uh, you know, I wish I truly understand the positive impact of this. But, you know, parking far away from the store that you drive to or only using the bathroom in your office that's on the second floor and taking the stairs. So every time you have to go to the bathroom, you have to walk up a flight of stairs, small things like this, standing at your desk versus sitting at your desk, small things like this over time um, on a daily basis, uh, they contribute to everything from fat loss to overall health, mainly overall health, keeping you active throughout the, throughout the day. So um, that's a big one. Another one would be like, um, you know, making, giving yourself a water target and saying, okay, I'm going to drink a half a gallon of water a day or a gallon of water every single day. That seems to have some pretty profound effects uh, because of its satiety-inducing effects. Of course, the body's well hydrated. Um, and also, a big one is you're not drinking anything else. If you're trying to drink a gallon of water, you're not drinking calorie-containing uh, drinks typically. So one of the things I think people bump into when it comes to a fat loss or weight loss journey is life happens. They get busy. Um, I know for you, not too long ago, you had another kid. Sure, life got much busier for you. You got mind pump, you got the business, you got relationships, like all this stuff. How did you adjust along the way so that, you know, you were able to maintain what you were trying to do, but you also didn't overwhelm yourself? Life can get very busy and overwhelming. And um, for me, at least, I want to be able to do the things that are most important to me in the best way possible. And, and, and the healthy, fit version of me is going to do that better than the unhealthy, unfit version of me. So fitness is a priority um, in the sense that it makes me more effective at being a father and a husband and a business partner, a podcaster. 
Um, so I have to prioritize it. Now, for me, the best way I could do that was to do it the first thing, first thing in the morning. It was the least likely to be interrupted. I start my day off with it. Um, so it contributes to the rest of my day. Um, and I've just found that this to be the easiest time to, to maintain from that standpoint. Now, is it the best workouts at 6 a.m.? No. I don't want to work out at 6 a.m. half the time. But, but, I mean, you know, I have four kids and a business and a wife. And, I mean, you know, doing it at the end of the day, it's going to get interrupted, you know, 20% of the time, which means I'm going to miss 20% of my workouts. But I, I also like working out in the morning. You know, there's, there's, there's other values. Like I said, it starts my day off. If I work out in the morning, I just have more energy and I'm sharper for the podcast, which I'll typically start at, you know, 9 or 9.30. So I'll work out at 6.30. Workout ends around eight, which sometimes includes uh, some heat therapy like sauna or steam room. And then, you know, I eat and then I start the podcast and I feel amazing from the, from the workout that I just, uh, just did. Um, I'll also reduce the frequency of my workouts if my schedule starts to get crazy. So rather than working out five days a week, I'll work out as little as three days a week. And honestly, that's that novelty in the change in schedule um, really actually serves my body really well. Um, so, uh, it's, you know, it, it all works out if you prioritize it, but you know, to parents listening right now, in my experience, the most, the, the highest odds that you'll be successful in terms of consistency is if you start your day off with it. If you wait to the end of the day, it's, it's, it's probably not going to happen half the time. I mean, I know you've been doing this quite some time. Did you ever have a battle with like the all or nothing mentality? Because I feel like sometimes people when they're like, well, if I can't work out five days a week, what's the point of even doing it at all? Personally, no. Uh, but I'm a fitness fanatic, um, you know, borderline unhealthy obsession with it. Um, but clients all the time, all the time. This is one of the most big, this is one of the biggest challenges. Um, something is always better than nothing. Fact. In fact, we came out with a program recently called MAPS 15, where you just exercise for 15 minutes a day. You're doing like, like two strength training exercises a day, and that's it. And, uh, you know, obviously it's good for people with busy schedules, but what's not so obvious is how effective it was for people who've already been working out for a while. And indeed, that's what we found. We had so much feedback from people who are like, oh, my God, I, I hit a PR. So I, I worked out that way when we wrote the program, because typically we'll use the programs that we create or try them out so we can communicate them best. And I did a, a abbreviated version of it. So I was doing about 25 minutes a day, uh, which is still short, but I got my, my, I hit a PR and deadlift, you know, at the age of 44 for following a routine like that. That's incredible, man. Congrats. Um, something that I've, I've struggled with even in the last few months. And I'm like, I've been trying to like figure out what I need to do to adjust is like, there's certain days where I'll go in and I'll, I'll crush my deadlift. And then there's certain days I'll go in and I just, I just don't have it. And my, my lift is, is significantly weaker. And I've noticed this pattern and it's like, you know, I eat more protein. I, I focus on my sleep, drink more water. Is there anything that, I mean, I think this is pretty common. Is there anything that I should be doing differently to, you know, maybe look at why I'm not progressing with a deadlift? Uh, okay. Specifically the deadlift or just in general. I mean, I think that's something that I think people struggle with in general is that they hit these plateaus and, and weights. And sometimes when they're not feeling it, your progress is not going to be linear. Um, when it comes to, I mean, any, any endeavor, but strength training as well. When you first get started, it's pretty linear, right? When you first get started, so long as you're not hurting yourself or, or training super inappropriately, you're going to get stronger week over week, over week, over week, over week. And that lasts for a little while, three months, six months, 
depending on where you're at, sometimes as much as a year where you'll just see this kind of regular, consistent or almost regular and consistent uh, progress. But then it, it stops, and that's just natural. It's going to happen. The more advanced you are, too, the more likely this is to happen. Like to get – for me to add another 10 pounds to a major lift at this point is so hard. Um, and in some cases, I don't know, might might not happen because I've been doing this uh, for, you know, for such a long time. You know, that being said, you're not going to have great workouts all the time. It's impossible. Every day is different. Sometimes you have good days. Sometimes you have bad days. So I think the key is to train appropriately and derive value from the workout regardless of what's going on. So if you go into the workout and you feel tired and stiff, well, now it's going to be more of a mobility-focused workout. You know, If I'm feeling really strong and energized, well, this might be the day that I really push it. This might be the day that I, I go after it and I, I train harder and I listen to louder music. If I'm really stressed out, I might slow things down and really try to become as present as possible. So the beauty of, of fitness um, and exercise is that it's, especially strength training, is so moldable, right? It's so individualizable. And that's how it should be. You should take your workout program and mold it and modify it and customize it to improve the quality of your life as it is now, period, end of story. So whatever's happening in your life now, your workout should serve to improve the quality of it. So if you're really stressed out, if you're not getting a lot of sleep, you just had a baby, or you just started a new business, well, then maybe the workout should be focused on maintaining your health and your ability to recover and stress relief. You know, maybe everything's perfect and you got plenty of energy and you're rested and nothing's really challenging around. Well, maybe the workouts then are... Does, you, you, you approach them with a way to challenge yourself, to push your fitness level and your performance beyond where they've been before. Um, you know, maybe you have some pain. Well, then I go to the gym and I'm going to try to address the, the root causes uh, of this pain. But the workout should always be, or you should always work out in a way to improve the quality of your life, regardless of what's going on. And if you do it that way, you'll, you'll have this amazing long-term, lifelong relationship with exercise that's always going to serve you it's always going to serve you if you approach it that way thanks for sharing that now i don't feel kind of so alone because i mean it has been this a much a slower progression specifically on my deadlift which has always been harder for me i mean legs are just my weakest body part it, even as hard as i train them even if i hit them twice a week so it's like yeah but you were working out for a while haven't you <laughs> yeah for a long time yeah, yeah a long time i mean i mean you know at some point first off strength gains are an excellent metric of progress. They're amazing, right? I think everybody should focus on building strength until you start to get to the point where you're so advanced, you've been training for so long, that the risk of pursuing in increased strength no longer is worth the results. So like, we'll use, uh, you know, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Okay, so I, uh, I don't know how long it was, maybe six months ago, I was able to uh, deadlift 605 pounds, which for me was a was a, a record, okay? Now, uh, if I wanted to, let's say, break that record, let's say I, were to, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to go and try to get 625 off the ground. The risk of me adding 20 pounds to my deadlift is so high in comparison to whatever benefit I'm going to get. I mean, what am I going to get from adding, being able to get 20 more pounds off the ground? Any more muscle, maybe a little bit, you know, any more fitness, uh, I don't know. But the risk of joint pain and issues and challenges because now I'm reaching a certain level just aren't worth it. So 
what I may do is chase something else like range of motion or control, or I may pick an exercise I'm terrible at and try to get good at it. This is where I'm going to derive more value and benefit. Now, if I'm a beginner where I haven't been training for, let's say, longer than three years or so, well, then the strength gains are worth the risk. Like if you take a beginner, getting stronger is amazing. There's low risk if they train properly, and the benefit are just the benefits are phenomenal. So you've been training for such a long time, Doug, regardless of what your max lift is, um, unless you think it's really a strong signal that something's off, like your programming or diet or recovery, um, then, cha- then, then looking at other things may be more valuable. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is that when I don't sleep well, I know it's going to be a tough workout when I don't sleep. So I, I often will go in and if I, if I haven't slept and I know I have like legs, it's like, all right, instead of trying to hit like six to eight on like trap bar deadlift, I'm going to do like 12 to 15, just solid, slow reps you know, and really work on range of motion and, and training to kneel, to near, till near failure on that. Yeah, true. I mean, you know, the other thing you could do is uh, you could practice training with a lower intensity and more frequency. Uh, a lot of people get really strong this way. I know I do. So, you know, you could I could train um, heavy twice a week or I could go much lighter. You know, here's a, here's a good example, right? I'll give you an example. This is a Russian – this is a Soviet method of building strength, and it's actually – exceptional. They'll take a lifter who let's say could do uh, 15 reps with 315 pounds in the barbell squat. Let's say that's their max. 15 is their is failure for them, right? What they'll do is they'll do 10 reps with 315 every day. That's it. 10 reps, not 15, 10. They'll do 10 reps every day. They'll take a day off here or there when they start to feel stiff. So it may look more like a four day a week or five day a week uh, you know, set or so. So like you're and literally, you're doing like two or three sets. That's it. Even if you feel like you could do 20 or 30 reps, you just stick to 10, just stick to 10, just stick to 10, just stick to 10. After 30 days, you test your max again. And you'll find that you've added like five to 10 reps to that lift. So, and that, that means, so what does that look like? Right. That means 10 reps feels like a certain intensity. Cause I could do 15 today, but I'm only gonna do 10. But as I continue doing this, I'm noticing the 10 feels easier. But I'm not going further than 10. I'm just practicing, practicing, practicing. And then I push myself and then, you know, things go up. So for someone like you with your trap bar deadlift, if that's a lift you want to focus on, you could try an approach like that where you literally do a couple sets well below failure and you just stick to that. And then maybe at the end of 30 days, you test it and see what happens. Thanks for that. I'm definitely going to gonna try that out because it is a little, I wouldn't say it's frustrating. I don't beat myself up over it, but I'm like, man, like I got to like progress in this and figure out like what's going on. You know, and I know like you and I both have the gift of of time as far as time in and equity in the fitness space as far as how long we've worked out for, for dealing with plateaus and stuff like this coming up that it doesn't, like I'm not going to stop going to the gym because my, my trap bar deadlift doesn't go up. I'm still going to maintain my schedule, but I'm sure you've trained countless people over the years that plateaus is what makes them, what makes them quit, you know, like in specifically weight loss plateaus where if their idea of success in, in fitness and in their health is dependent upon how much weight they're losing. Like, how do you, like knowing what you know now, if somebody was, you know, on this weight loss journey where they're trying to lose over 20 pounds and they plateaued and they weren't losing weight, what kind of conversation are you having with them? I mean, it depends on where they're at, but I mean, look, here's the deal. You're not, you can't progress forever anyway. Okay. So I can't get stronger for the rest of my life. If that were true, I'd be, you know, bench pressing 10,000 pounds by now. It's just, it's not the way it works. You're not going to lose weight forever, okay? Now, someone may be saying, well, I have a goal. Right? I have a 30-pound weight goal. 
like 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 weight loss goals and, and I'm stuck at 15. Well, when you get there and you're stuck, reevaluate what's going on. Sometimes you need to back off. Sometimes you need to reverse diet. Sometimes you need to reduce the intensity a little bit. Don't always hit the more intensity, harder workouts, less calories button because uh, that can often result in harder and stronger plateaus where you're fighting your body. So definitely reevaluate and don't forget to look at things like, am I getting better sleep? Like, oh, my sleep's been bad or, you know, my calories have been so low for so long. Maybe I need to reverse out of this for a month and then, you know, tackle this, you know, four weeks from now. You know, look at those things. But also, look, here's the, the big, uh, I guess the big overarching answer for that, okay? Learn to enjoy the process, okay? The, if, you, if you enjoy exercise for the sake of the exercise itself, you're never going to stop. You'll never stop. You know, there's a, there's a, I remember I said this quote a long time ago and it went viral. And I think because it, it, it struck a chord, right? The, the man who loves walking is going to walk further than the man who loves the destination. So find a way to learn to enjoy the process. By the way, enjoyment doesn't mean pleasure necessarily. There are plenty of things that are not pleasurable that, that are enjoyable because we find value in them, in meaning and purpose. So if you can start to focus on that and, and wrap your mind around that, develop that relationship with exercise, um, you'll never want to stop. You just, you'll do it because you love it. By the way, people who've been working out for 10 plus years consistently, ask them why they could continue doing it. And hitting new goals is not going to make their top 10, right? They stopped hitting goals a long time ago. Now it's like, I just love it. I feel good. It's fun. I enjoy it. And that's what keeps them going. Absolutely. And when you say reverse dieting, obviously it means like you're, you know, increasing the amount of calories that you're eating over time to kind of, I guess, revamp metabolism and, and stuff like that like when 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 do you think like how does somebody know when it's time to like dial that part back and maybe go back to a cal more of a calorie deficit you know if your calories are getting pretty low and what is that what do you mean by pretty low you, you start to feel really hungry right and you feel like this is unsustainable and you're plateauing on top of it maybe do a reverse diet and try and build some muscle uh for a little while right i, I think that's probably the best way is to look at it that way is to say okay you know i'm eating 1400 calories a day. I'm exercising four days a week. I've plateaued real hard. I feel hungry all the time. I don't want to go down to 1200 calories or a thousand calories. You know, that's not going to feel great. And that's going to be unsustainable. I think it's time to do uh, a reverse diet. You want to, you want to end in a place where you feel like you can maintain. You don't want to end in a place where you're like, I don't know if I can keep this going. You know, I, look, uh, everybody thinks weight loss is hard. Okay. But in comparison to keeping it off, it's easy. Millions of people lose weight every year. Millions. What percentage of them actually keep it off for the rest of their life? Yeah, it's like 5% or less. Most people gain it all back. So really what we should be looking at is the sustainability, not whether or not you can lose it. Whether or not you can lose it is easy. Um, whether or not you can keep it off, now that's, that's the hard part. So if somebody like wants to be part of the you know, 5%, that do keep it off long-term, I mean, other than some of the stuff that we've already been discussing, enjoying the process, eating enough protein, being consistent in the gym, sleep, stress, all that stuff. What are a couple other things they should focus on if they want to keep it off long-term? Um, I mean, if you want to keep it off long-term, you have to eventually develop a good relationship with the things that you're doing for it. So what do I mean by that? I mean, you have to find value uh, in your whatever it is that you do for your exercise and activity. 
you have to find value in how you eat and not just because it's making you lean, but rather you've found a way to enjoy people. Now, when I say that, people always roll their eyes like, oh, how, how could I enjoy, you know, I don't know, chicken and rice over pizza? Well, enjoyment doesn't just mean palatability. Enjoyment can mean lots of different things. And when you start to connect the dots and you start to really connect how it makes you feel, everything from digestion to hair to skin to mood, uh, well, then it starts to become desirable, you know. Um, and the pizza, although always palatable, once you connect it to feeling sluggish or poor digestion or feeling irritable or poor performance in the gym, well, it becomes less desirable. You want to be in a position where you want to eat what you want to eat and you don't want to eat what you don't think you should eat. You don't want to be in a position where it's like, I can't eat that. I can't eat that. I have to eat this. I have to eat that. That is not a sustainable relationship with diet at all. So imagine if you, if you ate healthy because you wanted to, right? I know that sounds crazy, but that's, you can get there and you get there through revisiting this relationship with food. And part of that is identifying all the values that food provides you. So it's tastes good. Well, that's one value. Okay. Of course that's easy. We all get that one, but how does it make you feel during and after the meal? How does it affect my skin, my digestion? How does it affect my athletic performance? You want to identify all the ways that the food affects you and really pay attention to them consciously. And eventually it becomes unconscious to where you start to literally crave foods that treat you well more than foods that treat you poorly. Even though those poorly treating you foods, the foods that treat you poorly are tasty, right? They're, they're tasty and yet you'll find that you're like, eh, I, don't, I kind of don't want it. I know it's going to taste good, but I kind of don't want it. Yeah, I feel like sometimes so many people struggle because they feel like how people view them and how they view themselves is dependent on the way that they look, right? And I do think that obviously being healthy in the way that you look in the mirror is is important, but I think they have to people have to find a way to detach from that a little bit and just understand that you know, just because you're not in the place you want to be health-wise doesn't make you a bad person. Let's talk about real life, okay? Not magazine covers or social media. Okay. Being healthy in the true sense of the word. So I don't mean just like I'm lean. Uh, cause you can be lean and be unhealthy. Right. I mean, really you're healthy. Like you, you have a healthy body, a healthy mind, you have healthy relationships. That's attractive. That's attractive in real life. You ever meet somebody, they don't have to look like a physique competitor or a bikini model, but you meet them and, and you just, God, you want to be around them because they're healthy. Okay. Remember, what we consider attractive really is based off of, you know, evolutionary signs that tell us that someone is healthy and fertile. Now, we've distorted them through media where, you know, we've taken the, you know, the signs of healthy testosterone in males and we've exaggerated it, right, or fertility in females and we've exaggerated it. But in real life, when you meet someone who's genuinely healthy, it looks good. And, and you know, look, if you, if you try to be healthy in the truest sense – you're going to become more attractive. It's just, it's just the way it is. If you just try to become attractive, oftentimes you'll sacrifice your health and then you'll lose both. And that's just the reality. We just talked about like why like losing weight is or keeping weight off is, is so hard. And we talked about some of the things that you can do to, to maintain that. Like, and we just talked about reestablishing the way you, you view food and the way that you view health. Like, why do you, why do you think overall that people have such a hard time though 
with keeping the weight off? Is it because of the inverse of that? They just have an unhealthy relationship with the way they see health and food. They're just impatient. Like, what do you think's the the, the root of that? I mean, Doug, look look look, here, look at the reality. Okay, if you live in a modern society, which if you're watching or listening to this podcast, you do, the default is poor health. Period. If you live like everybody else, the way you're supposed to, what does that look like, right? I wake up, I get my car, I drive to work, I sit at a desk all day long uh, under electronic lights. I eat food that is pre-prepared for me or packaged, hyper-palatable. Um, I use stimulants to wake me up and to keep me you know, focused because what I'm doing is so unnatural. Then I'm done, I get in my car, I drive home, I get home, I eat more prepackaged, you know, maybe processed foods. You know, 70 to 80% of people's diets are made up of these foods. And then I round out the night by sitting down and watching Netflix or something on TV. I may have something to help me wind down, like some wine or whatever. Um, that is a recipe for terrible chronic health, like chronic health issues. Okay, that's what that is. That's the default. So that's why it's so hard. Our relationship around activity is zero. We don't have a relationship around activity. Our relationship around activity is how can I move as little as possible and make things as convenient as possible? That's just how we've designed society. Not necessarily a bad thing. We've made things physically easier for ourselves. This is just a side effect of that, right? Our relationship with food is convenience and palatability. Those two things. Is it convenient and does it taste good? I mean, think about the last time you and your friends were gonna go get lunch. What do you want to have for lunch? Oh, I feel like Mexican. No, I feel like Chinese. Oh, you know, it's not even hunger. It's cravings at this point, right? Most, in fact, most people have never even felt true hunger because most people have not gone more than two days, let alone shoot. You know, people haven't gone through two meals without eating, right? Let alone two days, right? So we base our relationship with food around cravings. So why is it so hard? Because you have to live in a strange way in order to be healthy. You can't live in the default. You have to structure activity into your day. I have to actually get up and consciously walk. Not because I'm walking to work or walking to the store or walking to do what I need to because that doesn't exist anymore. I have to actually go and walk. I have to actually go somewhere, pick heavy things up and put them down. Not because I'm building a house or a shelter, but because if I don't, then my body will become frail. I have to consciously in this sea of super hyper palatable food that's extremely available and inexpensive, I have to consciously choose to eat in a particular way that's counter to the normal. You know, like we live in a, in a world where if you avoid heavily processed foods, you're on a diet. That's a diet, right? You know, so that's why it's so hard. And I think people need to, to um, acknowledge this and become aware of it, and then proceed to live in a way that is not the default. Otherwise, you will have poor health. That's just fact, 100%. You know? If you live the way you're supposed to, you're going to have poor mobility, poor physical health, poor mental health. Just a fact. We've spent a majority of our conversation talking about like, if the average person wants to lose over 20 pounds and maximize fat loss. I think as like the, the last thing I want to ask you about is, let's just say that the fitness fanatics listening to this and they're trying to drop like some stubborn belly fat. They're trying to get those abs popping out. 
other than keeping calories in check? Like what are some things that you found to be helpful for you when you're trying to, you know, lean out a bit more and, and have uh, your abs show more? Oh yeah. If I, if I hit a plateau with my, uh, if I'm trying to get leaner and I hit a plateau with my diet and training, it means I've probably been, uh, on this path for a little while, right? I've already been in a calorie deficit. I've been doing the things to, to get leaner. Now I hit a really hard plateau. I just reverse. I'll do a short bulk for two or three weeks, gain a little bit of muscle. Some, and oftentimes that results in a leaner body fat percentage. Or at the least, I, I'm able to get things roaring again, and then I go down to the cut. Change direction. That's what I always say. One of, the, one of my secret weapons, especially for women, because uh, a lot of women don't like to do this. They don't like the, they don't like the idea of a bulk, right? But I'll take a female on as a client who's like, oh, my God, I plateaued. And, you know, I'm at 23% body fat. I can't drop that last 3% or I can't drop that last 5 pounds. I'll say we're going to do a bulk, uh, you know, really low bulk. So, like, you know, maybe 300 calorie surplus for the next four weeks and we're going to get you strong. And then I don't even cut them. I'll do the bulk for, for four weeks, test their body fat, and oftentimes they went down a percent because they gained a couple pounds of muscle and their body fat total pounds stayed the same. In other words, they got leaner as a percentage. Have you, so have you found that there's a percentage that people should like aim towards if they want to see like their abs? Because I feel like, you know, a lot of times when people think of fat loss and, and losing body fat, some, their goal is to just have a six pack and to see, see their abs. Yeah. Our obsession with that is kind of silly. Uh, you know, there's more millionaires than there are people with six packs. Really? It's, it's pretty rare. In fact, you, you work out in gyms, Doug. A gym already has a self-selection bias. These are people who work out. Okay. Go to your average gym. How many people in there have a six pack? Like almost nobody. Yeah. You'd have to go to a bodybuilder gym <laughs> to see like two people with a six pack, even in a bodybuilder gym. So our obsession with that is a little, is a little silly. Nonetheless, if that's what you want, uh, body fat percentage that result in visible abs for men are around 10% body fat. Uh, and for women is around 15, 16% body fat. Um, for men, you can typically get there and, and not really have too many or maybe no detrimental effects on things like hormones. Women, it's pretty hard. When women get that lean, uh, there's almost always a negative effect on their hormones. Women aren't, aren't their bodies didn't evolve to be uh, so lean that they have six packs. Um, and so it's, not a, it's typically not a good idea for women because it usually results in some, some negative effects like loss of period or hormones being kind of thrown off or metabolism getting really, you know, kind of off track or whatever. But, you know, if that's what you want, those are the body fat percentages you want to go for. And I recommend people do it, uh, uh, go as far as they can without doing a single amount of cardio. Typically where people mess up, they do too much cardio. And I recommend people do it without staying in a cut for too long. So if you stay on a cut for six weeks, you plateau and plateau, 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 reverse out of it for a few weeks and then try again. Don't just hammer the deficit because you'll end up losing muscle and you're not going to get that, that six pack that you want. To close the loop on this just before we, we finish up. So I guess the way I'm understanding you describe it is that, is that when people are, you know, really trying to focus on getting to a body fat percentage when they're seeing, when they're seeing their abs, like they really have to be hyper-focused on the, the amount of calories that like just making sure that they're not going into like they're not plateauing so that they... For a man to get down to 10% or lower, especially lower, and a woman to get down around you know 16% or so, you have to be very, very consistent. If you know gaining a percent body fat or losing a percent body fat you know, with someone who's a man is, let's say, 17%, you can't really tell, right? Once you get down to 10%, you can really tell. 
and a couple days that are off will do that. So, um, or, or we'll, we'll stall things. So consistency is very important for that. And most people, if they knew what it really took, now there are some genetic anomalies out there. I get that. But for most people, if they really understood the kind of um, discipline and consistency it took to get a six-pack, it's not worth the loss of quality of life. It's just not worth it. It's like, oh, I can't really go out and eat. I, you know, I can't really enjoy myself to be super on point with everything. And um, the, the value you get from having six-pack abs versus being just lean, uh, it's, not, it's typically not worth it. It's not like you're, you know, people, I think I, I think people think they're going to get a six pack and then like their happiness is going to skyrocket and all, they're going to get all this attention. It doesn't really work that way. It's not that, it's not as valuable as people think. And so when people are plateauing on that, like you will have them reverse diet and then get to a place after a few weeks to cut it back down, to get their metabolism going again, build some more muscle and hopefully drop their body fat percentage. Um, last thing is I know for a while people were like, all right, if I just do crunches, like I'll be able to see my abs pop. Obviously, working your core is important for the sake of working your core and having a strong base. But would you say it's it's not going to be very helpful as far as seeing your abs pop until you get to a that those body fat percentages that you were talking about? Well, if you build the muscles of the abs, they're going to be more visible at higher body fat percentages. So, so you know, definitely if you want to see your abs, you should build them. They should build them and develop them, okay, just like a bicep or anything else. That being said, you got to get leaner. So you can have great, well-developed abs, but if your body fat percentage is too high, you're not going to see them. Um, and then you can't spot reduce. That's a myth. So I can't burn body fat from an area that I because I train that area. It's not, I train my legs. I don't burn body fat from my legs. There's no localized body fat you know, energy burn. It's a systemic effect, and that's determined largely by genetics and hormones. Sal, thanks so much, man, for coming back on the podcast. Um, I think my audience is going to really enjoy this conversation. If they're not listening to Mind Pump, if they're not following you already, where's the best place to listen to that to find you? Yeah, so I'm on X, uh, Mind Pump Sal, on Instagram, Mind Pump DeStefano, um, and then, of course, on YouTube, Mind Pump, the podcast, and Mind Pump TV. Awesome. I'll, I'll be sure to include the links to that stuff in the show notes, and thanks again for coming on, man. You got it, Doug. Thank you.